Fireside Chats. A podcast where every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we sit down to discuss the essay, Anatomy of the Microsect, by Hal Draper. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa, and joining me tonight is Donald. Hey, it's Donald, also from the Communist League of Tampa, a uh, uh, micro sect. <laughs> Grant. Hey, Grant here from Emancipation. Rosa. Rosa from Emancipation, a micro sect of a micro sect of a micro sect. <laughs> and Lexi. Lexi of Emancipation. I have wasted my life. JPEG. <laughs> okay, so tonight, uh, as has been subtly alluded to in the uh, previous uh, introductions, we're reading Hal Draper, Anatomy of the Microsect. It's written in 1973. Tell us a little bit about Hal Draper, Donald. All right. Um, I'm not going to claim to be a Hal Draper expert, but um, my understanding is that he was started out as a Trotskyist, but he split with Trotsky over the degenerated worker state theory and embraced bureaucratic collectivism as an alternative theory, which is basically, it was like neither like capitalism or socialism, but like a third, like new bureaucratic class. But um, Max Schachtman ended up becoming like a conservative inciting with the US, whereas Draper kind of like held true to the Marxist cause. And he was involved in a group called the International Socialists which would eventually become the ISO, I think, in the United States. But they started out as, like, I guess, a more Rosa Luxemburg-influenced group. And Draper was involved. But really, Draper's importance seems to be his scholarship. Like, he writes a lot of very in-depth stuff on Marx and Engels and putting it in the historical context and whatnot. Yeah, the, uh, Karl Marx's ser- uh, the Karl Marx's Theory of Revolution series. Yeah, he has a six-part series called Karl Marx's Theory of Revolutions. And I've honestly just started scratching the first volume, but it's already a very impressive work. But for here, we're talking about something he wrote in 1973, which is kind of a um, reaction to the new left and the way it was developing which was, I guess, you know, towards um, after the, S- the collapse of SDS, you kind of had um, this period where different Marxist groups tried to form like micro sects, basically different Maoist groups, mostly Trotskyist groups, and they would all compete with each other over who truly represented the line of Mao or who truly was loyal to Moscow or who truly was, you know, loyal to Hojist Albania. And... Draper is kind of, he's reflecting on this general environment of like all these different like hyper ideological like Leninist like groups that have kind of popped out of the new left. Yeah. And, you know, as, as in a period of, I mean, there does seem to be some level of regroupment, but in a period of like high leftist fragmentation, you know, this is still fairly relatable uh, 40 years later. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole 
situation he describes really seems to be exactly the same as it was before. Well, I mean, I think we could infer that it's significantly degenerated, to use a Trotsky's term. Like that, even, you know, the heyday of the new left, you know, as bonkers as organization ended up being, like it's nothing compared to what it's like, you know, decades and decades later, where those former radicals, you know, turned into bourgeois politicos and or like total cultists or, you know, serial assaulters or whatever. Like it's then, yeah, this generation sees these sects often for what they are. Well, Uh, I think even even if they don't have a positive alternative. Well, the the dominant sects in our generation, I think, are basically these groups that Draper's talking about, but like past their prime. Like he's like, because you think about like, look at Frizzo, um, you know, World Workers Party, I don't know, Sparts, whatever, just whatever sect you name almost. Like I can hardly think of any exceptions. They all started out in the new left and it's all basically like led by oldies from the new left. And so there's a continuity, I think, historically as well. And that basically, so get, like, the far left is still, like, under the leadership of, like, the old, like, rotting corpse of the new left. Yeah, like, um, Hal Draper describes this process in, like, academia in which, like, people, like, college students are dissuaded from, like, the revolutionary potential of the working class. Like, they've been bribed with trade unionism. And, like, you still see that a lot this day, even to this day, like... I know, I know. People are gonna point out. Well, you said that the working class of has has decomposed and blah blah blah. And that's 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 different from like weird tacks about settler colonialism, bribing white workers into not being revolutionary and things like that. That's still prominent on the U.S. left to this day. You still see that now. You have like sort of weird theory mongering which he also denounces yeah he's he seems to not be very convinced by all these kind of um third worldist theories and as for or just um you know like saying oh or even just saying it's consumerism like those kind of theories that were popular at the time that wrote off like the u.s working class and said it was like the students who were the true vanguard like because draper specifically says that the trade union movement is like a key point of focus maybe that's getting ahead of ourselves but um this piece is actually pretty short maybe we can just kind of go section by section yeah so um um, i think that's a good idea about the road to an american socialist movement and he says let's start with the introduction actually because he says something interesting um he basically says uh, sect is often used as a cuss word to mean a group one doesn't like movement is often used to describe something that does not exist in organized form as when the American socialist movement is used as an abbreviation for scattered socialist elements, which often do not move at all. We shall use these terms with more precise meanings. A sect presents itself as the embodiment of the socialist movement, although it is a membership organization whose boundary is more or less rigidly um, by the points of its political program rather than by its relation to the social struggle. In contrast, a working class party is not simply an electoral organization, but rather, whether electorally engaged or not, an organization which really is the political arm of decisive sectors of the working class, which politically reflects or reflects the working class in motion as it is. A socialist movement sums up the mass manifestations of a socialist working class in various fields, not only the political, 
usually around a mass socialist party. So one of the first kind of things I noticed was that, yeah, okay, so a sect presents itself as the embodiment of the socialist movement, although, although it is a membership organization whose boundary is more or less set rigidly by the points, blah, blah, blah. So first thing I noticed is CLT doesn't fit that definition, so we're still cool, guys. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> we're, uh, You're not, you don't have a program? You're not programmatist. Uh, we, we don't. We don't. Pre we do not present ourselves as the embodiment of uh, the socialist movement, though. So, uh, in the eyes of this guy, uh, we're still pretty cool. All right. But he, at the same time, I wouldn't say that there is any kind of working class party as defined here in the United States. Oh no! Hell no. There is no. Because you find the working class party as being the political arm of decisive sectors of the working class, which means that you already have some kind of, you know, organization that's like representing workers and is, you know, fueled by a, a working class rank and file politically. And we don't, we can't really say that such a party exists. Have we ever Not, had something like that? I mean, what was that? Have we ever had something like that? I mean, the Socialist Party USA maybe be like the closest we had. And, I think mean, he does talk about the weaknesses of that party and how we just can't go back to those days. And I mean, could also even say like the Black Panther Party was sort of like that, you know, representing a um, decisive section of the um, black working class. And you can even say that, um, I don't know, maybe even the CPUSA in some of its, you know, earlier days might have been such a party. But maybe it never actually was. I don't know. That's that's a question I'm still undecided on. But so uh, should we move on to the sec next section? Yeah, yeah, the next section starts off with a, just a great thing. Since there are socialists in America, but no socialist movement, it is understandable that the socialists will say, let us go and form a socialist movement. All considerations argue for this obvious step, and there are no arguments against it except one. This is the fact historical fact that no one can decide to make a revolution whatever is formed by fiat will turn out to be a sect alongside the other sects even if it is that better kind of sect which believes in not being sectarian yeah and he says let us make clear from the outset that we do not have the answer for the 64 dollar question these a formula or gimmick which if only followed will infallibly produce a part of your movement out of the woodwork we will all have to grope for some time but we have some conceptions about the direction in which to grow and the criteria for deciding whether developments are hopeful or hindering. So he's basically saying, like, listen, like this is, you know, not, you know, guaranteed to produce like a, the real socialist movement. But as we move forward, maybe we should take these things in consideration. Yeah, okay, we, so we have. Um, step, sorry, what are you going to say? We have here three different people on our on our panel from emancipation and the three of us have have different views on politics anti-politics society that's sort of thing but if you if you go to our site the sort of about me page right this is where it all started this noting what's at the beginning of this quote that there's socialists and no socialist movement and that no act of political determinism is going to sort of magically invoke a social basis for a mass basis for the socialist movement. So, so it's, 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 it feels like a foundational aspect of our time right now. Well, what this then text he is says, describing here. 
In the road forward, though, he says, this means that for us American socialists today who look forward to the building of a genuine socialist movement, there is a course we can take which will further this objective and bring it nearer, which will fructify the ground on which it will arise, which will make it easier for its elements to mature from place to place. The alternative to creation by fiat is not that we passively await for it to rise by itself without the intervention of human hands. It follows that the course taken now by American socialists can also have the opposite of turning off dispositions. So he's saying, yeah, like we can have groups that help and participate in ways that do help towards the formation of socialist movement. But it's also completely possible that, you know, leftist sects can actually hurt this. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think still it sounds like he's talking about a kind of more of a merger than a than a creative process, you know. A, well, the merger formula is a process. I mean, it's a process where, you know, different sections of the socialist movement and the workers' movement unite and work through their differences. And, you know, gr- you know it's, it's a process rather than just like, a, you know, oh, we're, you know, I don't know. So, so this I, office, I, I don't think he rejects I suppose this I just, I formula see, here. I, this offers a sharp critique of sects, but he's not Monsieur DuPont. He's arguing for like a Marxist center. If there's any contemporary current that bears this influence, it's Marxist center. Um, because he's still offering a within politics solution. He's yes. offering a, w- a within socialist politics solution. Uh, and, you know, again, this is 73, so we are responding to the failure of even, you know, well-considered attempts at struggling with these issues. There's a kind of, you know, good sense within leftist politics, far-left politics, that sees the, you know, basic-ass Leninist parties as like a total joke and thinks that those are the edge cucks. We're like the real, you know, we're the real pragmatists and serious people. And I yeah. mean... I mean, you see that a lot in a DSA, too. That, oh, you know, we're the ones who are willing to work with the Democrats and really get shit done. All these, like, crazy Leninists just want to run around screaming out North Korea. And, you know, there's truth to both sides. Like, we probably shouldn't be running around screaming about North Korea, obviously. But at the same time, like, you know, this kind of acquiescence with reformism isn't really acceptable either. But, um... So, so I see that I'm trying see that to calling trying to strike this center, right? But uh, I still feel even even if you go kind of look at what his his you know from the point of the individual socialist who wants to scare quotes do some do something, we would summarize our suggestion as follows. This is all the way at the end, and he talks about crystallize a circle of co-thinkers around you in the course of your activity in the arena of the social struggle that goes along with your situation. That's the first sentence of a suggestion. It reminds me a bit of Rosa Luxemburg's comments about, you know, an early socialist movement taking the form of loose associations of clubs that, that event, that primarily form a propagandic purpose and that link up with proletarian endogenous class struggle once that yeah, is accentuated. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, also... he uses the uh, example of Iskra because Iskra was basically like a center around which different circles of working class and socialist intellectuals could communicate with each other under the, you know, watch of the czar's press. And they could, you know, spread information about strikes 
and spread information about political events without, you know, having to be censored between different circles of workers. And the goal of Iskra was to kind of be a center around which all these different circles could eventually form to become a party. And he's saying, but he also says at the and same time. And he talks about being an Iskraist, you know, how yeah. that would become part of your daily life, uh, spreading those views. But he's also saying we can't just like, um, I guess we're just going to kind of skip around through the document at this point. But he also says uh, like. I think, I think you, we should, maybe we should try to stay on track because he does kind of develop his terms a little bit. Okay, um, sure. But, but I was so, just going to say that he does like say straight up like, no, like the party in the movement is not going to form from like the existing sex all like merging together because their own sectarian logic prevents that from happening and they'll just be right. more destructive. He's critical of premature regroupment. Yeah, exactly. Any kind Except of proletarian activity. First. Yeah, so basically like we can, we can kind of summarize some of these sections a little bit. Uh, like section two, um, fragmentation, like he basically just talks about, he's basically, it's basically like a snapshot of the 70s sort of uh, decomposition and sort of, uh, yeah, fragmentation of different theoretical tendencies, you know, Trotskyists, Maoists, Castroites, uh, different, like, neo-Stalinist sects. Um, there's an interesting line where he's like, if these neo-Stalinist sects are not, are, quote, oriented, quote, towards the working class or towards lumpen poor or the blacks of the third world, etc., it is only the sense that men in a hurry orient, orient towards a pack of horses. They make clear that the historical contents of Maoism and its different varieties is the conception of the bureaucratic revolution from above, engineered by a band of self-appointed leaders riding on the back of a class movement and bridling it, for which end the most suitable class is one with a minimum capacity for initiative and self-organization, such as the peasantry. Uh, I just thought that was an interesting line. Um, then he talks about the classic sect. Um, it's like, uh, th these presently divide into more or less that stem from the Trotskyist sect organization and those that exemplify the social democratic pattern. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, it talks about sort of uh, dips into Marx. And then it goes a little bit. Then he gets to like the section on like sex and trade unions. So I guess at the, at the end of that section, he concludes, the most important test has always been the rela relationship of the self-style Marxist and the working class organized on the elementary economic level, the trade union movement. Uh, which transitions them into sex and trade unions. Um, it's yeah, interesting. So he has a sort of take on the trade union movement that I wanted to get people's opinions on because he talks about it as sort of a go where the workers are and, well, there's this one last bastion, right? Now, yeah. Yeah. now in 2018, there's significantly less to go to in that sense if we're talking about the trade union movement right yeah it's well it's yeah because he basically goes like uh, the, he, there's some pretty good one like good lines on here like the first part of that section literally says like the sex socialist has always felt the soul-torn soul difficulty in the face of a trade unionism movement which rejects socialism and the dominance of sex life in the history of socialism has been accompanied by the predominance of a leftist hostility to trade unionism as such and I mean, I think that's like a it's like a specially pointed phenomenon in the United States, uh, mm -hmm. where you know, especially like in you know in the nineteen fifties, like the trade unions basically pretty much explicitly purged like all like the radical elements, and you know that that poses like a huge conundrum for leftists like you know post nineteen post World War Two, 
Uh, because yeah, exactly. Like if, if if the trade union is kind of like the elementary basis from which you sort of develop class consciousness and you know get to a point where you can have like a working class party, like what the fuck are you supposed to do? And you know, it it makes it makes entryism like especially grotesque because you have to like pretend to not be a Marxist, but at the same time like agitate like a Marx. You know, it, <coughs> it, it 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 injects the whole thing with like a bunch of contradictions. Yeah. Yeah, he describes a process which, like this, like the better sex try to orient themselves towards trade unions by joining them, and they don't actually really join the workers per se. They end right. up being a part of the trade unions in like a youth orientate youth as youth volunteers. They never really engage with the workers themselves. They just engage in the trade union bureaucrats as youth volunteers. Yeah. Uh, there's like a line on that. I'm trying to find it. Okay. Uh, let's see. I guess uh, the sect approach to the class movement showed its pointed ears in many ways that need illustration. Here are two. Item. The student radical, heart filled with sympathy for poor workers, turns to the farm worker's struggle as one clearly meriting his support. Typically, he does not go to the people by going to work in the fields like other workers, for should his special talents be buried under a clod, he goes to work for the union, i.e., as what the union calls a student volunteer. Impressed by his own self-sacrifice on the one hand, on the other hand, he finds that the farm worker union scarcely measures up to his ideal of what the class struggle should look like. Pretty soon, he complains that the student volunteers have no say in policy, i.e., he demands the powers of decision be partly shifted out of the union members' hands and into those alien class visitors who have deigned to donate their time. Or, finding the internal life democracy of the union far from satisfactory, he may decide that the farm workers do not really deserve his, his support. He would bestow his, his saving presence only on certified pure class struggles taking place on a different planetary plane. <laughs> um. It's an interesting like snapshot of like what you know, what like leftism was like in this particular period. I'm sure that there's still shit like this now, but it seems like now oh, yeah. it's more like NGO culture and shit like that. Yeah, it's, it's uh pretty. It's withering and not very sympathetic. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I mean, it does seem though that like apparently like there's an article that came out recently that like for the first time in history, like the overwhelming amount of like trade union recruits are like younger people. Um, whereas it, it, you know, it was like, so there could, in terms of like demographics, like there could be a shift as like, you know, the current generation was initiated into the workforce and has not had much, uh, ability to like, you know, find like an upwardly mobile position there and we'll be like, may, and who knows, maybe they will be actually forced to, uh, collectively struggle on the whole, uh, trade union question. I thought it was interesting how he said, that we need to be essentially a loyal opposition to trade unionism, which is that we want to support like the aims of trade unionism, but still criticize policies and leaders in the bureaucracy to the extent that they get in the way of the goals of trade unionism, if that makes sense. It's a tricky thing, though, because, you know, the 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 United, the United States has a fucked up history of that the way like you know there was like a strong like red purge like getting rid of like all the you know the far leftists in trade unionism in the mid twentieth century, which creates I think which at least fuels this kind of uh, schizophrenia that he's talking about vis a vis like the Marxist left in America and trade unionism. Um, but uh, does anyone have anything to say on this section? Yeah. Or should we move on? 
Go on. Well, I was going to say that um, his kind of, he kind of actually does like hit on some really problematic ways that the left like works towards um, the labor movement, though. Um, hold on. What, where did he say this exactly? Maybe it wasn't in this section, but um, no, it's actually in a different section, but he says, the opposition movement must be a loyal opposition. That means loyal to the interest of trade unionism in the same degree that it fights the boss and the bureaucrat whose power is not in the interest of trade unionism. So it is necessary to proclaim this today, to put on the banner, so to speak, because the sect radicals have been so successful in discrediting themselves as conscientious trade unionists and infusing trade union radicalism, quote unquote, with a sex commando raids to rip off a plant situation by a display of militancy even if the workers' interests are harmed or union work is wrecked, as long as a couple members are recruited to the sect. And I thought this was just like spot on in how a lot of these ML and Maoist groups like, and even trot groups like behave in unions where they basically just like, you know, they get in a union and then they like try to do some really voluntaristic adventurous shit. And like, not everyone's down with it anyway, but like a few people are. And so they just end up like fucking up like the campaign, but like end up being able to show off their militancy and like recruit a few people. So like I'm saying like there is a problem with being overly loyal to the trade union movement in the United States, especially with how co-opted it is. But there is like a bad way of fighting against that. Well, yeah, that's I mean, it's just that's like on its face dumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I mean, it's obvious that like shit like this was happening a lot back then, like. You yeah, know, it's like you had the whole movement towards proletarianization in the student left, where they all became like Maoist and trots and tried to become factory workers. So you can see like all of these like really idealistic Maoists like going into factories and like doing really like stupid union work. And he basically says it's because it's the sect isn't interested in the actual advancement of the workers' interests; they're just interested in their own. Um, personalistic uh agenda basically yeah it almost, honestly it's like given that description of like some of this stuff it almost sounds like you know like they like they would have taken selfies doing this shit like if they had they had smartphones back then <laughs> um yeah. so the next the next section he talks a little bit about like left unity um uh, this, section five is called the rut we're in and he goes one proposal to abolish sectarianism uh, is a call for a unity of all the sects. This may yeah. be presented as the road to forming a socialist movement. It is a piteous illusion. In practice, it may mean a spate of unity organizations among some of the sects, a common time-killing enterprise, or even a unification of two, a drop out of the bucket. But the actual unification of all the sects is an inherent possibility where the programmatic uh, shibboleths uh, on which the sects are based are politically incompatible. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, like, I guess the like contemporary example... It, a scene of this is like someone who reads the weekly worker is watching like the cbgb's like interventions and in like what was literally called left unity yes exactly could, i was yeah. about to say which you could you could tell this is exactly why left unity doesn't work <laughs> like you could tell it was gonna fuck it i feel like they probably did it kind of aesthetically because you could tell it wasn't gonna work and and it was especially like a period of like it was like 2013 2014 which is like kind of maybe like peak id paul so like it was like the whole thing was just a complete shit show, and you know, it, like like any like, all these projects, they they never work because you like what holds people together. It seems like in like these mass organizations is usually like some kind of access to some kind of mass base. 
Yes, you know, exactly. That that's that's why you know people were so hesitant in the original S payday to split because it's like you need access to that mass base and they might not all the workers will follow you and that's a problem, you know. And and without that, like all you really have is like a mutual resentment society of like you know people people basically like suppressing like their own like uh, disdain for one another and their stupid ideas. Well, that's kind of like what Trotskyism was like originally. It kind of just started out as like, you know, like a, like a few people splitting off from the communist parties and forming their own little groups and then trying. And then they would like try to go to the communist parties and like propagandize and they would just get beaten up and kicked out. And so there's this sense that like the programmatic shibboleth is more important than the actual connection to the class because at least we're like holding true to the invariant program against all, you know, odds whatsoever. We're not like allowing our tactics to be our tactics to be flexible in a way that would let, you know, people into our organization who'd corrupt the program or whatever. And like, you see this in all types of Leninist groups, you know, like all the way from Maoism, the Trotskyism, the Bordigism, like this kind of, um, loyalty to um not even programmatic but theoretical shibboleths almost yeah in this in the sense that there was programmatic shibboleths like uh the situation has deteriorated so now it's just more abstract attachment to certain kinds of theories or defending certain x countries yes you know well i think at this point, a lot of these programmatic shibboleths had to do with like what country you sided with in the socialist bloc. <laughs> uh, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, if you were yeah. if you were a normal ML, you supported the USSR. If you were M, like a Maoist, you supported China. If you were um, a Trotskyist, you um, you know, were critical of the USSR, but still like defended them on revolutionary defensive grounds, and so. A lot of these questions, like people are not going to come to an agreement on this shit. And so, well, but it's amazing because all these like a bunch of these states don't even exist. And the ideology lives on far beyond the usefulness. And yeah. It, yeah. It, if, I mean, North Korea, technically, still. North yeah, they're Korea, holding it you down see there. you see like a few few like really, really dumb. M- the incredibly dumb mouths will will defend anything with a red flag. So China gets lumped in there, Vietnam. Those are the the not particularly smart ones, but that get pushed by Telesur. Uh, Telesur, is that the yeah. name of the Telesur? Yeah, Telesur and I a can few actually others. understand kind of defending China, but like North Korea, that's 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 the wacky, that's the wacky stuff. Well, North Korea is more, how do you say, like anti-capitalist in the crudest sense possible? Yeah, they're but, more extremist yeah. and isolated. That's where you can be like, oh, China are cooking out the globalism. <laughs> but I mean, in a way, that's what makes China better is that they're not totally closed off from the world. Like, that's why I'd rather live in China than yeah, North Korea. They, they don't suffer famines because of fucking poor economic planning and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. But I mean, nowadays, like, there still is programmatic shibboleths over Stalinism today. And that's a good point because... You know, and there kind of was an attempt to put this idea of forming a Marxist center into practice, but like its unwillingness to like address programmatic issues led to you know the, you know serious disagreements about you know 
things like Stalinism and the legacy of Stalinism and what this means about, you know, internationalism and democracy. And is, is defending the legacy of Stalinism programmatic? Is, is that is it really about policy? Is it really or like about um, like fighting yes. for a program? Do you, do you think it so? Means that your organization is going to be a propaganda outlet for the actually existing Stalinist states that you support. And yeah, your it policy. says about what you want in the long term. It yeah, says about what you want in the long term. Yeah, and it's it's also just like your foreign policy is going to reflect like shitty Cold War hangover nonsense where we have to support Russia against the U.S. because they're somehow anti-imperialist, and you know it 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 holds over into political positions. Yeah, what, I mean, what, certainly it affects political positions, but I guess. What I'm trying to say is that you could not give a shit about program and still oppose uh, unity with Stalinists because they're defending like horrible anti-communist regimes. So what you're, maybe what you're kind of like hinting at, like Lexi, is like an anti-program. And like we don't have like specific points, but like just fuck the following things. Well, uh, fuck this, you know. I bring, you know, I bring. CLT started out basically as like, yeah, yeah, we don't like these things that communists (laughs) do. So if you don't like these things either, then come to us. (laughs) You know, I I bring it up because of the uh, anti-program communist currents. Like, and you know, I I say that because I think, uh, I think there, this this isn't the reason that one might want to program because I, I think it's relatively clear to a lot of people who don't care about programs so much that loyalists for these supposedly left-wing authoritarian states are for the most part n- not people we can work with um well honestly and- i even feel like in theory they could be people you work with if they're willing to have if they're willing to be adults about well, political disagreements of- of course. I think they're toxic like to to real people. I think that in a united front situation where there's a specific strike or like a political campaign even or even like a need to defend like a rally from right wing intervention, then like a tactical united front with Marxist Leninists is completely fine. Like but on the other hand, I don't think we should be seeking to build organizations. I would, I would only them. want to do that if they got like real people involved, like actual proles. If they well, somehow yeah, managed to do that, then we would have no choice in the matter. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying if it's like a situation where they're actually putting something on the table, and we're going to look like idiots if we just like refuse to participate because of ideological differences, it's not going to like, you know, yeah. it's just going to be. Well, like, but know, uh, pity in, in I, but okay, um, I mean, I, I don't think. Carrying, like, uh, I think if sorry. someone is soft on Stalin, like it's possible to like win them over to a better position. Like if they're not already heavily indoctrinated into like Frizzo or like Red Guards Austin or World Workers Party, like I think it's possible that you know you can. I don't think that they're so lost in this authoritarian ideology that they're beyond help. Like. But on the other hand, like it's not too late. There's people. There are people who care about you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so well, well, the reason we got into this was kind of like there was kind of an attempt amongst different local leftist groups that are kind of doing like their own thing or engaging in local struggles and trying to build up their own local institutions and studying theory and trying to connect with other groups, and that kind of grew up into the Marxist center tendency. Which I mean isn't I mean it was originally just a Facebook page, but they actually 
do have conferences apparently. So, I mean, I think it is fair to say that's an actually existing tendency, but um, the problem is that like, as soon as you start talking about something beyond like, yeah, organizing workers is good and socialism is good. Like you start like, you know, you get into like this sectarian Stalinist ideology where everyone who doesn't praise comrade Stalin is like a CIA plant. Yeah. In a way, I think the more mature thing to do would be to say, well, you know, we disagree with you, but we like respect our right to disagree in that kind of situation. Because I think what Draper's talking about as a center is not so much like a programmatically unified organization, but kind of like something like SDS basically was where different socialist tendencies of all different types can like interact with each other. And through that process of interaction, move towards a greater unity and move towards a movement that transcends these competing different sects. Well, let's move forward, um, because in the next section, what then? uh, He starts, if the road of the sect is the blind alley, what then? The road of the sect has always been a blind alley, yet socialist movements have come into existence. And what he argues here is that Lenin's way out of uh, this blind alley was Iskra. Uh, and was the idea to basically set up a uh, periodical manned by an editorial board. Um, and that, because Iskara was not merely a literary enterprise, this is a misunderstanding. A worker in Russia became an Iskarist insofar as he agreed with the political views of that political center. And as an Iskarist, he found himself, he himself became a political center for further spreading these views in the popular circles in which he worked, in his factory, in his village, and his socialist circle. Um, one of the views spread by this political center was that the party movement to be built should be a broad one. Um, and Lenin never gave, this, never gave up this conception of how to build a socialist movement at any time before the October Revolution. Um, so what do we think of that? So I think what he's saying is rather than like trying to get all the different sects to unite somehow, what we need is a common forum where we can debate and collaborate when necessary and then from there we can build up the unity through actual connections to struggles if that makes sense which is kind Mm -hmm. of how i've been trying to conceive of socialist strategy in tampa kind of that's another story but um yeah i think that's um kind of what he's getting at if that makes sense i don't know if i'm misinterpreting him or not or just reading my own like views onto this yeah, I wish I knew a little more about this period um, and just like how, like, I mean, what did it mean to have like a newspaper being published in Russia? Uh, how much of oh, that? Oh, in Russia. Oh, um, well, I mean, basically, like in Russia, like Iskra, the way it worked was you had like because you had the czar in place and it was illegal to like talk about strikes in newspapers and striking was illegal, but you obviously still had strike actions and you had. And you had different circles of intellectuals and workers who are kind of separated and they would have study groups, but they would also like go to the workers and, you know, talk to them about their factory conditions and about and report on strikes. And Iskra was kind of like a publication that would report on all these different like struggles, either not just strikes, but also like abuses of power by the czarist government and things like that. And so Iskra would be like this kind of underground newspaper that different circles of workers would like trade amongst and not trade, but just distribute amongst each other to kind of keep themselves on like the same um, level of understanding and unity, basically. 
And so in a way, there's a flaw here because the Iskarist model really only worked because it was, uh, you know, basically a way that because because it was under oppressive government. So a newspaper like Iskra, like could just a mere newspaper could have like a lot of influence just by like getting people to discuss things that were not allowed to be discussed. So as today, I think it's, you know, obvious that like, you know, we can't just be like a newspaper must be formed as the solution. I'm not saying how Draper is suggesting that, but that's that's a difference between Iskraism versus like a Marxist center, as Draper explains it in the right. modern times. Yeah, well, it seems and like he he's... says straight up, we do not propose either the Russian movements or Lenin's course as a model for America in the 70s. So. Right, right. Um, so I guess it leads us to the final section, and it's the longest, uh, the political center. Um, let's see. So I guess he just starts out by asking, what should be done to prepare the ground for the eventual formation of a socialist movement slash party in America? That is a mass-based socialist formation, which is the political expression of the working class moving towards a collusion, a collision rather, <laughs> Freudian slip there, with the established powers of capitalist society. Um, we first address ourselves to the individual socialist who wonders what he or she should and can do other than join the sect of his choice and waste his energies in the vicissitudes of sect life. Uh, and so what he suge suggests is... Uh... Two-sided socialist enterprise. Basically, uh, he says, one, your basic contribution to the eventual formation of a socialist movement is what you do to develop a socialist circle around where you are now, which is like exactly what I tell people to do. We are thinking in the first place of your role in the workplace, factory, office, school, or whatever. Like, you know, just the people you know in your everyday life that you talk to and organ like not organize with, but interact with, like talk to them about socialism and you know, you, I don't you tell, you, yeah. you tell two friends and then they'll tell two friends. And pretty sure Honestly, that, that seems to be working better than other recruitment strategies, like Yeah. <laughs> but no, um yeah, it's well, it's tricky because there's such like a stigma around it, uh, for largely like ideological that, um, reasons in the United States. Like it's, yeah, it, it seems like it was much easier, like in the late 19th, early 20th century, to be like, oh, that's the, that's the social, that's the angry socialist guy in the village who, you know, he's the, he starts talking shit at the pub. You know what I mean? Like it's because socialism was was a heroic, living hope, yeah, as opposed to a constant shadow of you know what life could be no but let's go back to 1865 and it was essentially a shadow of what life could be and but there was know, a the there was a militant trade was, was like a crank that like was saying crazy stuff and then something it. happened between then and 1920 that made socialism a world historical force that was threatening the capitalist world system Sure. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily foretold that there was going to be the workers movement that there was then. And it's not necessarily foretold that there will be another. But um, I think you can still read this section like even if for some reason we don't have unions to deal with. Um, the same goes for the black movement, the women workers movement, the student movement, whatever things pop up. Um, you you, you form sort of a, a loyal opposition within whatever yeah. real movement pops up. Yeah, you engage with what what 
the real movement per se. Like Marxists tend to use that as an abstraction. But but um, you Draper have... doesn't say the but, real but... movement. He says that we have to build the movement essentially. But these movements have to be built by conscious political people. Is that is that what he's saying? That, like that um, that socialists I mean, can build a movement. Well, like, yeah, yeah, he, he literally saying, states saying, it uh, right off the bat. He says no, though, in like the no, introduction. No, you're misreading him. Like he says that they're not going to build a movement through fiat, but they can participate by acting and working towards a movement. There's not. It's, he's not saying don't do anything. He's saying do things that I, will be effective. Well, no one, building no one is ever saying don't do anything. You know, that's just no a one... slurp sort of thrown around. I mean, like, there are literally the merger of movement anything, is but, the merger of movements is different than the creation of a singular movement. Okay, here's here's what he actually says point, constitutes yeah. doing something. He actually gives a good, clear definition. If you are if you are in regular contact with a number of people in the workplace or some other mass situation whom you are trying to influence in a socialist direction, then you are doing something. What the future socialist movement needs is a network of informal if, informal socialist circles or formal ones, if you will which have an integral relation to the real struggles people are carrying on. Same goes for the black movement, the women, the women workers movement, the student movement, etc. That's yeah. kind of, that, that's basically how he defines here uh, meaningful uh, political activity prior to the formation of, you know, mass He's, he, he's, he says something very interesting afterwards. You may be accustomed to the belief that only members of a sect are interested in such work. That is not so. There are innumerable cases where such cells of militancy have sprung up in workplace, office, or school around people who are not even socialists or do not know they are. Right. Yeah, and that kind of goes into C.L.R. James's and uh, Martin Glaberman's kind of ideas about informal work groups how like even in workplaces that aren't unionized you still kind of have like informal relations between workers where they kind of cover each other's backs and have a sense of solidarity it's it's kind of interesting where he, he yeah he's projecting a socialist content onto just solidarity itself but i don't think I'm, he's saying that that solidarity itself is enough it needs to be developed but it's developed through not the process of a sect coming in and telling people what to believe per se, but through forming kind of networks between these different circles and then finding common ground and developing from there, I think. Well, here, well here, here's what he says. Uh, let's, we'll continue the quote. He basically goes, uh, what is true is, is that membership in a sect has often been stimulus to undertaking this role through group pressure and guidance, and that the sect performs a service providing reading and study materials, etc., for the circle activity. This does point to the positive side of sect work, which we cannot, cannot deny. What this means is that socialist efforts along these lines need assistance of a political center of some sort, to which one can look for literature, advice, and help. Moreover, there soon arises the need for separate individual and circle efforts to be linked up, which brings me to point two, like the of the major points of this section. Uh, but the role of, the, of a political center need not be carried out by a sect. Historically, this job has often been done most successfully by a paper or other publication of a socialist political center, which is organized simply as an editorial board or other editorial enterprises. And this is where he goes back to Iskra uh, as like an example. And this is kind of where it confuses me because Iskra was a product of the Russian Social Democratic Party. Mm. So, I mean... I don't was, know. But wasn't this at a low ebb after the crackdown in 1905? Like um this is I think he's really more so before 1905 actually. Yeah. Is okay. really the, 
period where like Lenin was like using Iskra to unite circles into a party. So I guess he points to like as a couple of current centers, uh, the Guardian and the Monthly Review. Uh, oh my god, which... that's a that's a problem. <laughs> I'm just kidding. like the Guardian. Uh, this is not the Guardian we know through popular, but it was the Guardian was a popular Maoist, like kind of anti-imperialist, pro-Natlib newspaper at the time. Okay. And monthly Wait. review is basically the same thing, but like more economically like focused, you know, and I'm not trying to trash everything they ever like did or published or thought. I'm just saying like, you know, these, the Stalinism that Draper is condemning, like isn't exactly absent from the ideologies of those groups. God, cut what I said about Iskra because I was totally fucking wrong. Anyway. Wait, 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 what, wait what did you say about Iskra? Oh, I said it was like something in 1905. It's in like 1900. It's like an influence uh, on 1905. Just that's good, that's yeah, that's like Iskra was like from like 19. It was like roughly 1895 to 1905 was really like the peak of the Iskra like center, basically. And by 1905, um, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks were basically starting to split into two separate parties. Okay, I'm going to read one last thing at length here. Uh, this is just his other, like, prescription of what to do. Here's what he tells. Here's his, here's his advice for the individual socialist. This is his, this is, this is his self-help uh, two paragraphs. One. <laughs> Twelve Chris, steps to save socialism in your personal okay. life. Dr. Phil. <laughs> Chris, to bring back your co-thinkers around you wherever you are. And the How to bring your faith back. And the course of your activity of the, of the social struggle that goes along with your situation. You are the smallest unit political center there is. Doesn't that sound like some like 80s like, like a self-help video? <laughs> you are the smallest unit political center there is. Uh, two, make contact with a political center that makes sense from your own point of view or for help in literature, advice, and outside link-ups and work with it to whatever extent you find useful. But there is no reason against having this relationship with more than one political center if they suit your own political views. So he's very like, you know, poly political center oriented there. Such a political like center may, such a political center may even be a sect, but if you do not join it, it relates only uh it relates to you only as one political center among others. This relationship is a hang loose relationship. If you do not have a vote in deciding its affairs, uh it is likewise true that it cannot tell you what to do by exerting its sect discipline over your own judgment. You do not erect an organizational barrier between you as the adherent of one sect and someone who cleaves uh, to another sect or none. In your work, you use whichever literature you wish, whatever their source. You'll use your money not uh, for the sex funds drives, but to finance your own work. Uh, if you continue, if, if enough take this course to break up the sex system, that would be a good thing for the future potentialities of the American socialist movement. That's Yeah, that seems like super yeah. specific to its time and place. Cause, well, I, I, I don't know. Like, let's say... Decent let's, advice. Yeah, I mean, if, if all the people that were doing, like... Bi big sects instead of like just going in this like groundhog day loop you know all decided to just kind of put down their like adrenaline like rush activism and like think critically and kind of like try to orient themselves individually in a like and the sect system broke down and what we had was a bunch of independent kind of thinking potential actors you know that are sensitive to whatever's happening I don't know. That does sound a little better, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. The standard of dialogue would go up. You would have more free thinking in general. 
you wouldn't, you know, have these very, the left would just be less cultish because people would be allowed to think for themselves. <laughs> yeah, but I guess sense. maybe the stuff on literature is what got me because it's like now we just have the internet. But I don't know if like that sort of increased access to information. That, that is a good point. That is a good yeah, point. But yeah. honestly, like if you talk to a sect bot from like PSL or Frizzo, like true the stuff they say is just like talking to a martian like it's obvious that they aren't like fact checking the stuff that these people are telling them and like they're just kind of like yeah also people just bombarded by a wealth of information and that's why there's there's they're bombarded by a wealth of information and they just don't know where where to start really yeah, and Marxism-Leninism kind of just provides you with like a simple, vulgar, but simple and easy to understand explanation of everything and a narrative to believe in. And even if it's, you know, flawed, like it does, you know, provide you with quick answers to any tough question that you might get, even if it's a shitty answer. Whereas, like, a free-thinking leftist who's trying to learn from the best of the entire history of the left and the existing left is, you know, not going to be, you know, they're not going to fit in with these kind of sects because... Like well, I, said, I think that's something that as we've all kind of tried to do this, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I feel like this this resonated a lot with what me and Jake have been trying to do with other people in Tampa. I mean, I think everyone here has, like, an allergy to, like, you know, that kind of, like... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like... Yep. Yeah. But, like, I would push back against the idea that Draper is saying that, no, socialists don't build a socialist movement. He's saying that you don't build a socialist movement through sex. I I suppose I don't mean to say that he's saying socialists don't build a socialist movement, because certainly... That does make it sound like I'm going, okay, do nothing. Um, what, what I mean more is um, if you look at the beginning of or two, three paragraphs into part five here, he's saying about the, the sort of irrelevance of programs uh, when the party or organization has this like tether to reality through class struggle through an actual proletarian base. He says, within the framework of a party slash movement, uh, the cement which holds such a formation together is its role in the class struggle itself, the fact that it is the class in movement. And again, I, I think that there is this level of proletarian self-direction this this need for the working class to liberate itself uh, or or to present us with the social struggles that Marxists help clarify and so on. Well, I think that... I, I, what I'm saying is, I, 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 and I think Draper goes from assumptions that agree with this, that, that, it, that Marxists can be part of creating the socialist movement but they can't create a social basis out of nothing. I mean, I think that historically, if we look at, for example, the Bolshevik party or the the Russian social democratic party more correctly, or the social Democrats in Germany, that it was the party members who built the unions. 
I, I disagree. Um, I, I, have you, if you read uh, Luxembourg's uh, Leninism or Marxism, one thing I'm really struck by is her insistence that the party movement had had very little to do with the origins of the workers struggles that it that it unified with and and you know history, we, we i think I mean, we have the actual, to have faith. the actual I academic history of the spd would go against that i think like, we would have to have i think we have to have a certain degree of actual belief in people's abilities to well i mean liberate themselves without the full guidance of the left i mean i i I understand the the impulse to say, okay, that doesn't mean Marxists can't do anything. I agree. Well, there's, I would say that there's would take the example of Iskra. You know, if there's resistance to capitalism happening from the working class throughout, you know, the country, we're just not tuned into it, and we're not communicating amongst each other about it, and we're not creating a network where these different struggles are, you know, being where different people are conscious of these struggles and these struggles are connected in the sense of people understanding that, you know, there is, you know, a way to resist capital. Like I, you know, I, I don't think that there's no self activity of the working class that we can merge with right now. And I think that the engagement of socialist radicals with the self activity of the class can kind of form a feedback loop where, they work together to build each other up in a sense. Yes. I, I, I just, I think a lot of people's approach to this is to try and prematurely build sort of a party or something that's going to, I think we're, we're, we're at a different point in the creation of a socialist movement than a lot of others do i don't well i would say we're at the point where draper is saying it's like our i think our goal is to build a base that can provide the actual social um glue that can make a party have a unified program if that Um, makes sense i mean this was brought up earlier but he he talks about going to the trade unions and specifically trying to be the loyal opposition to trade unionism we don't really have that. I mean, eh, we well, have trade unions eh. in the United States. They're limited, very weak, but like they do exist. I mean, there are, I there think are, there are opposition fights within trade unions. I mean, I know, I, yeah, what you know, maybe it'll make it easier to control them, but it, it doesn't have the mass appeal that they once did, and. I believe maybe we should try and focus on movements that are like coming like just that are sort of organically building themselves and don't really have like organizational bases like me too. And that sort of thing. I know that sounds like sort of weird since they aren't like heavy organizations and it might be harder since because, because of like how disorganized they are. But I, I believe that's like maybe the only hope that we have really since the death of trade unions and that sort of thing. They embody like the social desires of people to emancipate themselves. Well, how would we use Me Too to spread communism? Yeah, like I don't understand what you're trying means to say. tapping into that sort of that that trend sort of thing, responding to that. 
It's a so viral, why not, like, the viral acceleration against abusive managers and workplaces and. But how how is, how is that not just because that's what I see like every activist doing is just like running to like every media sensation. And, yeah, like, like, you know it's, I mean? like it's you know like we we, we we like activism is basically you wait for the kind of like the spontaneous movement to pop up. And well, activism kind of chan but activism channels these things into into the political sphere rather than clarifying the yeah, social intentions of the... To the extent that it channels things into a political sphere, it channels things into... The bourgeois, the political. bourgeois political sphere, yeah. which is a democratic party, and that's because there's no other alternative. to like That's just what's going to happen when there's yeah. no... Like, once the maybe... movement dies down, and once the energy dies down, there's no other organization with the capacity and the um logistical capacity to actually continue like institutionalizing I mean, this movement and, and bringing it to a greater form i mean maybe me too is a bad example maybe me too is a bad example maybe we could look at long-term trends of like trans people like the rise in the number of trans people as sort of a real movement in itself or, or like Black Lives Matter, the development of like an anti-police movement. I mean, I think you're Maybe. naming things that socialists should get involved in and that we should be partisans of. But I think that you need to have a greater overarching organizational vision that unites all these different struggles in a class basis. Yeah, because all that you have stuff just got well, shit. I, I don't know. I, well, let's clarify. Let's clarify something. So when we say an overarching organization, do we mean that that all of these sort of this this network of of socialist clubs, these sort of smaller organizations, is in touch, or are we talking about a kind of centralism where they're united and regrouped? You know, in the near future. Well, basically, we're talking about you. You'd have basically have to have like. Mass institutionalization we're at. I think we can't like push. That I don't seems think we can cart before the horse, right? Into existence right now. But I think that we can kind of look at what groups are popping up and what groups are succeeding. We can look at what tactics they're using that are working. We can communicate right. just, with them. We can I work think with them. We'll agree, through that process, we'll we can it. build stronger bonds and actual social bonds and actual social base. So do do we all agree at least though that that if you're a socialist listening to this podcast you are you are better off forming a a little socialist club with the people around you than you are like plugging into the partisan political left or you I know mean, or 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 I mean, you know sure. trying like, to start definitely... a party or trying to to you know join whatever sect well, I, I started I this say, podcast as a platform to recruit for CLT, so I don't like yeah, all we this started, We started this podcast <laughs> to spread our sex own like, lines, so just keep that in mind. Like, That's really funny. You guys are out in royal opposition. Yeah. But um, I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously sitting around on the computer, fucking around on left book is like not as useful as trying to like build a socialist club in your neighborhood or wherever you know you're kind of you know but everyone's got and i think that's more useful than tailing sort of the left scene even like the activism the sects the... oh yeah and i agree that like we should definitely like 
keep away from yeah. Democrat, especially Democrat like oriented activist scene and make our own scene in a way. It's like, honestly I think build, build here's, here's, here's my like personal ethical thing. Like uh here's maybe the takeaway. Yes, and this is I think this is what he argues in here. Yes, uh talk to leftists. But don't only talk to leftists. You know what I mean? Like, also talk yeah. to the people who aren't already political. You know, like, talk I, to I maintenance have guy. to make like, sure talk, talk to you know the person at the counter at you know a restaurant even. Like, yeah, talk talk to people at church. You know, talk to. Well, I don't know about church. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So it's it's kind of saying you know be that you know that politics person. Well, be a tribute of the people, as Lenin said. You know, be someone who is you know. You know, not in an obnoxious way, perhaps, obviously. Well, but like... see, of course, you, you know, that's what's coming to mind because of how, oh, you know, this person, wow, they post a lot of political stuff. Oh, man, that political person. I mean, in kind of, you know, everyday normie discourse, politics means like this person has like really likes to chastise and admonish people. And well, like, that's, it doesn't we have to fight for the meaning of words and here's for... the thing. we need to be like the communist version of your info wars friend you know what i mean <laughs> no. let me let me let me let me, let is, me fi- is that a good idea no let me finish, right, let, let, me finish jake, let, let jake explain his position let because fin- i want to hear this let me finish this up. okay because like here's what, here's what you're afraid of i think lexi you're afraid of being like the resistance person who's like yeah robert mueller's investigation is blah blah you know what i mean and like the stuff that plugs into the like clear political schema you want to be the InfoWars guy who's like, listen, this is all about harp and tied to weather manipulation. And, right? Is, is now, that what I want? No, th- that's well, what you no, want no. We don't say harp and weather manipulation. We say this is all gonna... tied to you know capitalism's inherent tendency to crisis and right. You know, you, uh... you will listen to the harp guy because uh, one, it's shit you haven't heard before. You know, and it's, it's not just like because if you if you hear some like partisan political discourse, you already know the, where it's plugged into. You already know what team there are. That's like, boring. yeah, I've already heard this on MSNBC. Like, why yeah. are you repeating this? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it's like, you know, somebody's an Eagles fan and you know what their take is going to be on the game that the Eagles played in. You don't give a shit. You want somebody who has some crazy like bonkers out there thing is even if it's even that's, that's just that crazy person. What comes out of their mouth is going to be interesting. So we need to be like the Infowars people for for communism. In, in amongst our social circles, they'll be like, "Oh, you know, that's that's uh, that's Lexi. She's got her crazy views, but you know, she's good. She's good people." <laughs> and honestly, I've been doing that in the free thinkers group I go to on campus. Like, I'll go there and I'll spout my crazy communist shit. And over time, people have—I've actually been like slowly winning people over in a largely conservative study group just by like talking to like normal ass people. Like about well, communism. I don't, I don't, I don't, and at first, I don't know, they were like laughing at me and calling me crazy. But now, like some of them are like, "Hey, Donald makes a lot of good points." Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if those are normal people, but you know. I don't know. I mean, I yeah. I guess like they're not already leftists. They're not leftists, is what I'm saying. Like right. when we talk about normies, I think what we really mean is just people who aren't already like leftists. Yeah, that's really all it means. Or or like hyper politicized because yeah the far far right aren't necessarily normies like yeah but a lot of these kids really aren't hyper politicized they just like like right. to argue and be like trolls and contrarians yeah they they ask questions like uh like you know like uh like what like what is the universe you know shit like that where it's like that kind of like entry like yeah what is style. the meaning of life and what 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 is the meaning of time and you know shit like that <laughs> yeah is time just an illusion you ever think about that 
Yeah. And sometimes they'll talk about politics, but like general attitude is like, fuck politics. Like some people support Trump. Like some people are like defensive of Hillary, but like the point is like, you can talk about this stuff with normal people. You can be scared that you're going to like weird them out, but you should kind of get over that fear because it's better to weird them out and make them think than to like, just say the same old shit they've always been hearing. Yeah. yeah. But don't, but don't like force it. Like I'm, you know, yeah, be chill I, I about it. You're clarifying so like social interests rather than pushing a political line on somebody to recruit them, you're gonna get better results. Yeah. I think it's both. I think you show how the political program relates to their social interests. Yeah. So I, I think if you're I think if you're selling something to people that automatically it cheapens a relationship. Like and well, I, I would sort of advise like not being a walking kind of uh Soviet Union uh, loudspeaker that's about, that goes on for 17 hours a day that you can't shut off. Well, I'm not no, so don't, don't force it, obviously, but don't set like pick your battle. You know, I don't know. Yeah, pick your uh, battles and don't be obnoxious, but you should, you know, but don't like someone yourself either. Like, I don't understand how you can like believe this stuff and then go about your, you know what I mean? Like, I guess maybe sure. I just like to, I just like to run my mouth, you know, and I feel like I censor myself about this stuff far more than like, you know, I don't. And I talk about it a lot. Yeah, like it can be as yeah. simple as like if you're like, you know, if like a group of friends you haven't seen in a while and they start saying some like disparaging things about refugees, like kind of like throw in like, you know, hey, maybe we should just have like citizenship for the entire world and like get yeah, rid man, of border. You, look at this and globe. At man, first you... they might think you're crazy, but then, you know, like, you know, you might be able to slowly win them to those ideas. And it's, I think that it is, there is a battle of ideas that we have to wage. And I think if we refuse to like go out there and like spread the word, you know, we're kind of just seeding ground to the right because the right is doing that. Like that is, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's like that meme where it's like, uh, someone's like, it's not my job to educate you. And the other person's like, oh, let me go. Oh, let me go grab my Muslim rape statistics. Hang on. You know? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Like, I, I think there's a place for propagandizing, but attaching it to your personality is you know like it's just one of those things that like well that's another key is you got to be a normal person you got to be someone who's like right likable for other reasons like no you, you can't just come across as like some flat cap wearing trot like <laughs> a shape of aura shirt and like you know like i don't know like cnt pins all over you like you, you gotta you know you gotta be like oh you know did you see the uh you know, do you like the Rolling Stones? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm, that's fucking weird. Relate to I'm work. probably not the best person to be giving this advice. But Hello, like, fellow kids. Hippies. Yeah. But I don't Hello, know, man. Uh, like, just be like, hey, man. Like, you like weed? Isn't it bullshit that the government like tells us, you know, what to smoke? Like, yeah, we all we gotta become weed dealers. You have to listen to propaganda if you want to buy some weed for me. What, see, yeah, see, we can. You, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, abolish value. No, I'm not gonna lie. I had a um a weed dealer who would play conspiracy like videotapes in his car. And so when I walked into his car, I would like hear him listening to like stuff about the Illuminati and he would just like pause it and start ranting about it to me. And I'd just be like, yeah, man, that's cool. See you later. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, that guy, you know, 
he's he's more interesting to listen to than like some hill bot. Like I'll give him that. Like <laughs> I'd rather have a conversation with him than someone who's just like going on the same shit about Russian influence in the election. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Towards the end there, I made a comment about how people should become the Infowars guy for whatever social circle or milieu they inhabit. Contained in this, I think, was a bit of obvious, playful exaggeration, but listening back to it, I'm a little concerned because the conversation about it seems to go on for a while. So, consider this a warning not to take that statement too literally. If you'd like to support the show, you can head to our website and purchase some of our pro-pure water filtration systems, our batches of survival seeds, and communist-minted gold coinage. Interestingly enough, in apparently in the 1950s, there were sections of communists who actually did flirt with water fluoridation conspiracies to explain why class consciousness seemed to be diminishing in the United States, and I think they were onto something. Brita filters aren't enough. You're really going to want like that high-level filtration system that gets out all the, all the toxins, all the heavy metals, all the capitalist brainwashing chemicals. And don't get me started on chemtrails. If all that's a little much for you, you can support our show by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or giving us a like on Facebook. If you need to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>